Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friends, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Hola. And Dan. Hello. Today we're talking about Avengers Infinity War and cinematic universes. So spoiler alert for Infinity War and pretty much the entire MCU. So sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. I've got a lot to say about this one, guys. <laughs> yeah, a lot happened over the span of two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. What did we all feel about the movie? Did we thumbs up, thumbs down? I'm going to say two enthusiastic thumbs up, especially on the fact that I've invested 10 years of my life for this. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to watch it in isolation, I think I could still enjoy it. I don't know about that isolation thing, but by God, is the is the payoff for being invested in this universe rewarded tenfold, and by God, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree. Definitely two thumbs up. If I can put some toes up, I'd do that too. The isolation thing is tricky because it does rely so much on all this setup because there's so many interlocking pieces, but I think I could agree if I were to just have watched this one movie, I think I would still enjoy it. Yeah, like, if I knew who all of the superheroes were, mm-hmm. like, without knowing necessarily their personalities or, like, being invested in their own separate lives, I could still enjoy the movie as a bunch of superheroes interacting with each other and witty one-liners here and there, and then there being a supervillain. Yeah, agreed. I want to talk about my um, experience in the theater because I think this movie was, like, an experience you know, we, we mentioned this has been 10 years. The first Iron Man came out in 2008, and now here we are in 2018. I've seen all the movies at least once. I've seen most of them at least two times. And watching it was so much fun in the theater. Like, when the logo, the Marvel logo came down, the whole theater started cheering. <laughs> Pretty much every time a new hero was introduced on screen, everyone started clapping. <laughs> yeah. When there was a cool action scene, everyone was clapping and cheering. It was just a really great movie to watch with, like, real fans of this series. I agree. I think it was very important for me to see it opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Not just opening weekend, but opening night. Um, getting to see it that Thursday night guaranteed that everyone I was watching it with, all those strangers, are invested. Yeah. And that made my interaction with the audience a very positive experience of exactly what you explained with the um, music transitions of introducing like which superheroes are we going to focus on next. We'd always like start cheering uh, there yeah. was one moment where one guy started clapping and we were all like, yeah, why not? Yeah. And we all joined in. I definitely wouldn't have clapped on my own, but I was comfortable with the fact that everyone was excited. Yeah, this was created. Yeah. 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 And then Dan turned to me and was like, one day I want to be that guy. What? No, I said, <laughs> yeah, he would be that one guy trying so hard to start a clap. No, you were excited. <laughs> I mean, I said it in an excited manner, but I had no, I don't want to be the guy. But I'm glad that there is the guy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, one thing, going to go completely off topic real quick. If you ever get on a plane with a bunch of Latinos, we clap every time we land. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because we have bad trust in uh, airplanes or just like we enjoy celebrating the little things in life. But for me, it's actually very weird when I land and no one claps. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like... Oh. 
Oh, this isn't a thing white people do. No, I, it's routine. This is our fifth business trip this week. I heard a comedian, um, he was like, do you boo when it crashes? And from then on, I was like, I guess I shouldn't clap when it lands. So I'm just self-conscious about it. But yeah, I think, speaking of the, you know, you know these people are invested, I was actually sitting next to a family who the son was invested, but he had to keep turning to his mom and be like, that's Thor in the last movie this happened. And then like, that's uh, Small Captain little America. Yeah, like stuff like that. Besides to make sure she's over on the page. Yeah, right? but at one point I almost turned to them and said like, I'm sorry, you gotta leave. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll be his guardian for this kid. This kid couldn't have been less than 13. I don't see why he had needed his parents, but I, I was getting a little frustrated. Was it like 10 o'clock at night? It was. That's probably. I can yeah, I guess that doesn't make sense. Now, yeah, <laughs> um, I I knew they couldn't probably couldn't have just like dropped him off, but I think it was because I had that expectation of it's opening night. Everyone's definitely seen the movies, and then when this kid kept whispering, I was I was a little frustrated, more frustrated than I should have been. But. <laughs> no, you've invested ten years of your life. Yeah, in this. I right. have. Let's go find this. that kid. I, by all means, on paper, this movie has no business working with all these, mm-hmm. like, sur- superfluous, like, crossover cameo moving parts. It had no right to <laughs> work as well as it did, and my my goodness that they executed this flawlessly. And the fact that they executed it within two and a half hours, mm-hmm. like, it was so tight. It was so perfectly balanced of starts with action and intensity, transitions to new superheroes they have witty back and forths and then right back into the action yeah not a once that i'm like okay we're lingering on this bit maybe a little too much it was literally the right portions for every amount of action drama or quick rapport to get everyone on the same page and have some witty banter (laughs) i'll say that there was exactly one moment where I thought they lingered on it for too long. Okay. And that was Gamora's um, realization that she was about to be killed. For me, the second that they said that he needs to kill something that he loves, I immediately was like, okay, Gamora's dead. Yeah. yeah. Yet somehow Gamora thought, oh, haha, you problem never solved. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree from the audience perspective. I was immediately, oh, okay, he's going to kill Gamora. I understand why from Gamora's perspective, she's like, well, you don't love anything. Mm -hmm. But I agree. They kind of stayed on it being a reveal to her a little bit too long, especially because I'm sure the entire theater was like, yeah, Gamora's going to die. Yeah. There was the really good line that I think Dan pointed out to me when I complained about this was, that's not love. And that like confusion of like, no, you can't, like in his own twisted way, Thanos actually loved Loved her, Mm -hmm. even though like... In a healthy friendship relationship, father-daughter relationship. I don't know what was happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't healthy, but it was mm-hmm. still a form of love. But I would have preferred if they say that, Gamora's like, ah, oh, you've never loved anything in your life. Like, you failed. And then, yeah. like, an immediate, like, stab through the death and, like, zoom to him and he's crying about it. And then throws him, throws her off, rather than the whole, ha, you're crying because you can't win. And then Red Skull, who's randomly there, yeah. is like, those tears aren't for him. And then she's like, what? I've, all yeah. of that could have been skipped in my mind. I agree. Uh, speaking of Red Skull, I remember at the end of the first Avengers, 
when like you turn and we see Thanos for the first time, a lot of my friends and I didn't really know who Thanos was. So one of my friends was like, do you think that's Red Skull? And like he got beamed up into space because like he doesn't technically die in Captain America. And I was like, no, that's dumb. There's no way that that happened. <laughs> and even though I was even though I was right that um, it wasn't, it wasn't Red, Skull. Red Skull, looks like I'm the asshole because <laughs> he did get beamed up into space. You're not friends with that guy anymore, right? I, uh, I live with him, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. no, I hate him. I hate everything about him. But going back to Gamora's role, uh, I remember I also turned to you during the theater that... Uh, once Peter and Gamora kissed, I was I was personally kind of upset in the sense that I was like, ah, I kind of felt the whole feelings behind her character and Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like Gamora isn't just the the reward for Peter or whatever for mm-hmm. doing a for doing a good job and being an asshole and not learning about himself. So I almost felt that I'm like, ah, uh, is this Peter like not learning his lesson and still getting the reward for? his actions but then i'm like oh wait this is a kiss of death yeah, isn't no, it as soon as they had the kiss i'm like oh bye gamora <laughs> that scene where um she was like where gamora was like peter like kill me now Who and awesome. then like he finally like built up the courage to do it and then thanos is like i like you that hit me hard. Mm-hmm. I that really was, like that. that was yeah. a fantastic. The idea sequence. of a father-in-law liking you is really emotional. Yeah. Is that what you meant? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, I wish my father-in-law liked me. But um, I, I did like not the humanizing moments of Thanos, but I did like learning more about him. His motives. Yeah. For the longest time, he's just been the evil, big that purple we knew. evil dude in the throne. Yeah. Eventually, the Avengers are gonna have to fight him. But in this one, we learn. Um, similar to the to Killmonger or the Vulture, we kind of get like, oh, like he thinks he's right, and it's not just I'm evil, so I'm gonna kill everyone. He thinks he's helping everybody, and even though obviously he's morally wrong, I guess in his mind he's doing the right thing. He's the right. only one with the will to yeah. do the right yeah. thing, is which he needs to reiterate to himself. And I agree because the Marvel universe is biggest critique has been how lame the villains have been and that they're always world domination i'm a bad guy Mm -hmm. there isn't really like evil doctor strange (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and it's just a matter of this was a turn in the right direction where suddenly the villain has reasons and they have a backstory for him where he watched his entire planet Mm -hmm. um basically they use up all the resources and the the planet dies, and the only solution there could have been was if only we had killed half of the population. Yeah. And everyone called him insane, and he was like, "But who's the insane one now? Because the whole universe is dying." Like it's a dead world of Titan all around them, which was a fantastic place for a for a confrontation in Thanos's dead world. <laughs> yeah, when he gave that explanation of like, "I suggested a solution," you mean killing half the population? Well, exactly what I said was going to happen, happened. So, and I was like, I obviously disagree, but like I could see why you're like, I'm right. You I'm disagree. the only one that's right. And that's what makes you weak, because yeah. I'm the one strong enough to actually execute on And this. I especially <laughs> like that theme because it's completely against um, like Captain America's morality mm-hmm. and all of them of, we don't trade lives. Yeah. That whole mentality is exactly what Thanos is doing. Yeah. He's, tra- he's saying, if we kill half the population... The other half will live. If we don't kill anyone, everyone dies. 
Right. And that's exactly what Captain America or the Avengers mentality should have been in order to save the world, but they just couldn't get themselves to do it. Hypothetically, mm-hmm. like, yeah. if it were moral, uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, the biggest critique of the MCU, for the most part, from people that aren't just saying, oh, superhero movies are the only movies we have nowadays to be contrarian. That's right, I'm coming for all you people. Um, their biggest critique has been that the villains are weak. So having a compelling villain that you could be a fan of is refreshing. And it yeah. was so needed in this movie. Past three films, they've really picked that up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm so happy that they didn't just rely on the spectacle of, look at this, ten years of movies are finally in one movie. It was a genuinely good movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the interactions were gold. <laughs> yeah. Just... Right from the spot when you just see Thor just um, speaking with and condescending to the Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm like, this that. is exactly what we've been waiting for. And or, it's delivering on all fronts. Yeah, even when <laughs> Thor arrives and is unconscious, they're all almost like fangirling yeah. over the physique of Thor. And Peter Quill gets really like self-conscious and is like, what? No. And he's like, it's like a pirate and an angel. Uh, <laughs> Man, baby. You need to leave. Peter, did your voice just... What are you doing with your voice? <laughs> You're making There's, your voice... <laughs> there, there the were, fact that Thor calls uh, Rocket Raccoon a, a rabbit. rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> a rabbit yeah. Good call, rabbit. Good call. I, there were a couple posts I saw where it was like, man, I can't wait for like Iron Man and Star-Lord to like interact and trade quips, and I can't wait for like Spider-Man to quip with, about Star-Lord with... Um, about like pop culture and I can't wait for Thor to show up and have like the most tragic backstory but while everyone else is telling their backstory he's like that is sad I can relate and that all happened <laughs> is Kevin Bacon still the greatest thing <laughs> he never he was, never was. <laughs> I, I love I love the line of I'm just fanboying now but I love the line of like uh, we're Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Like, Kevin Bacon? Maybe. I haven't been there in a while. I don't know if he's on the team. Yeah. It's quite possible he could be on the team. I haven't been there. <laughs> so good. Um, it's everything I wanted and more. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, I did recently read a meme where they were like, they totally missed an opportunity for Peter Quill to say like something along the lines of, no shit, Sherlock, and both Tony Stark and Doctor Strange turning around. <laughs> oh god, both Sherlock's are in yeah. the scene. Yeah. I would have really enjoyed that. <laughs> and they, it's not like they don't have their rights, because in Doctor Strange, when he reappeared in London after some fight scene, Baker Street. he was on Baker Street, so like, yeah. it could have happened. They've definitely made references to it. Yeah. Um, Which I will say, Doctor Strange, as much as um, we have been sort of like wishy-washy on his character within his his own film, at least, him being arrogant sort of guy, I enjoy his role as sort of the the stoic sorcerer supreme, like, in charge of the time zone, this is what needs to be done sort of mentality from the get-go, and it he almost doesn't feel like the, the same... Uh, it's strange that we saw in his own film, and I think it's for the better. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it came from in his own universe, in his world. He was always the best, and then he failed mm-hmm. in his movie, and so now he's kind of humbled. Not that being a brain surgeon isn't a real responsibility, but now you know the universe is in his hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I definitely like. They skipped over the Avengers not working well with each other. 
they their personalities clashed because they were all like leaders and alphas. But when it came down to a fight scene, they all worked well together. Exactly. And they completely skipped over the wait. No, I'm gonna throw this punch. I'm gonna go throw it. Instead, they kept it within the dialogue of you know that's a good plan. Other than the fact that it sucks, so I'm gonna come up with my plan, and then it won't suck, and then we might have a chance. They all understood the the imminent threat of Thanos, so they were willing to put. Uh, a portion, a vast portion of their arrogance aside to work together because they recognize the threat. Yeah, I love the the line in the very beginning where um, the Hulk is saying to Iron Man, you have to call Captain America. And Iron Man says like, no, a lot's happened. We're not really on speaking terms. And the Hulk's like, it doesn't matter who you're on speaking terms with. We need everyone yeah. on terms. Yeah. Or even the events of like Civil War sort of wiped away in one scene with Rhodey. Or... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I could just sit in satisfaction about this movie. Like, I, I, I don't even know what to talk about. There's there's plenty going on here. I yeah. think the one-liners were one thing that I've complained about in the past that in this movie still pushed it along. Um, I don't necess- I can't necessarily pinpoint what was unique about these one-liners, but I felt like it wasn't halting the story i felt it was expanding on their um connections to each other yes this yeah. was felt like a team of honed script writers obviously spent a very smelly week in a room yeah. and came out with the most refined brilliant dialogue script and we got the final product of that instead of oh isn't this one-liner funny and then a bunch of writers turn each other's like oh, yeah i guess we'll Keep that one. Yeah, we'll write it down, but we're gonna burn it in a second. That's the idea to beat. (laughs) I think what's different about this movie is each individual hero has been like the quippiest person in their own movie, but now rather than oh, I'm funny, and now like my sidekicks are like kind of funny because it's a Marvel movie. It's I'm funny, and I'm riffing with the funniest person from their movie. Mm -hmm. So it's just everyone that already got the best one-liners is riffing with the other person that got the best one-liners. That's a good point. Um, The dynamic between all of them just overall was compelling to watch Mm -hmm. because they all, and I think you mentioned this, had that common enemy. They're willing to banter, but they all know there's an imminent threat. So bottom line, after this banter and after I flex my muscles and expand my wings, are those how you demonstrate alphaness? I guess, yeah. <laughs> you, you, your frills on your neck come out? Yeah. And you hiss? Exactly. And you realize like, that from literally... Oh, so go on. Yeah, so all of that happens. And even though like they're all the alphas, they all recognize the importance of the situation and are sort of just doing it as their dry humor and potentially even like coping mechanism of the fact that the world is in danger. Mm-hmm. And I like that that's established in literally the first seven minutes of the film, the seriousness of the situation where uh, it picks up at the end of the events of Thor Ragnarok, where it's uh, Thor, Loki, and Banner, as well as Heimdall, sort of all in the uh, the ship that was attacked by Thanos and his crew. And it's literally Thor is like already defeated at this point and has like a big old boot on his chest. It's like, well, then it's a good thing we have a Hulk. And they're like, oh, this has worked in the past. And we see as Thanos is only with one one infinity stone in hand thoroughly, thoroughly dispatches of the Hulk. And you're like, oh, oh, shoot, this is serious. I really like that because the Hulk has been, for the most part, this secret weapon that's been able to beat anybody. And then... You know, he fails and he doesn't come back for the rest of the movie. And 
Bruce keeps trying to bring him out and the Hulk like will sh show up and say no. And I think it's because he lost and he's like, I've never lost before. I'm not, I'm not fighting again. Yeah. yeah I think so, not necessarily like a self-esteem thing, but a f actual fear thing. Yeah. The Hulk has never had Felt anything feeling, to fear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now being defeated as the Hulk, it's like, oh my God, like there's a danger of me dying. Yeah. Um, I definitely like that aspect of there's, they're still technically saving some powers for part two or whatever yeah. that's going to be called. It's like there are still inner conflicts within the team that I guess there are opportunities to beat Thanos later, maybe. Yeah. Um, again, with all of the transitions, I appreciated the reintroductions of all of the people that had a falling out during Civil War. So Captain America's entrance got applause. Mm -hmm. um, Black Panther and Wakanda got applause. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention was... Wakanda's condescension throughout, like yeah. when Bruce Banner, who's a brilliant scientist, gets told by Shuri, like, "Well, why didn't you do this?" Because we didn't, didn't think about, think it. about that yeah. at the time. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that, and then um, when they were crashing down, and you're like, "Oh boy, here they come!" And then the, they just hit the force field and explode. Yeah, and like, Bucky goes, "Oh man, I love this place." <laughs> In the sense, of, like even this uh, far advanced alien race it's like still can't hold a candle to Wakanda. yeah and i also liked um hulk or bruce banner being in the hulk um, the hulk the buster, hulk buster. The hulk yeah. buster and <laughs> tripping a little bit mm -hmm. and then uh koye like looks over like we're really fighting together like, yeah. yeah we're so much more superior <laughs> oh good. that does remind me though um i'm not a huge fan of scarlet witch um mostly because they don't define her powers. They don't define her powers, and they Emily Olsen is doing, like, four different accents, and it really bothers me, because she either has an American accent, a Russian accent, or no accent, and it's just, like, pick one and stick to it. If she, But anyway... I definitely didn't notice that, but what I did notice is that she is super powerful, but mm -hmm. only sometimes, and only for a little while. Yeah. And when she comes out to the battlefield in Wakanda and, like, kind of takes out a huge group of the enemies and Okoye says, why wasn't she here the whole time? I was like, well, Vision just got kidnapped. That's why. Because yeah. as soon as she left, the thing she was protecting is not protected anymore. Right. There was a justification there yeah. of, like, they aren't saving punches just to have a big moment. Yeah. They actually had plans in place that got foiled. Yeah. That's that's one thing I definitely never never felt uh, questioned in that way in a good way like oh why didn't they just do A B or C in this situation I never felt that once in the movie I did feel it near the end when Thanos had all six of the Infinity Stones mm -hmm. I definitely felt like why isn't he using it to the best of its ability like he was able to bend reality time. Um, and all the other, whatever. But you those are the, the, other ones. Yeah, <laughs> the two that stand out that would make it so obviously an unfair fight, he mm -hmm. didn't use. Um, even as quickly as he, maybe it's just like arrogance, but as soon as he has all six, he could disappear and snap his fingers elsewhere. He didn't have to snap his fingers on earth while being attacked. Uh, so that would be the only part where I was like, well, why didn't he just do this and or do that? Gotcha. Yeah, I I do think they um, kind of attacked him quick enough once he had all six because he has that moment of like, 
the surge of power, and then immediately Thor throws his axe at him and hits him. But I agree, he didn't really utilize... Because even before he has all six, he still has tremendous control over everyone else that he's not really utilizing. But even that, I think it was just an arrogance of Thanos being like, I don't even have to do this. That's possible. And I'm willing to disbelieve that, uh, have that suspension of disbelief so that I can enjoy the rest of the movie. I'm not too hung up on it. Yeah. Um, I was a big fan of Thor's new axe. Or his first axe. Or his first axe, yeah, (laughs) I should say. His new weapon. Um, I really liked that scene where they're forging it. And uh, surprise Peter Dinklage. Surprise just, Peter Dinklage. Just like in Three Billboards. Um, <laughs> he only does surprise scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah, Thor definitely had some good lines in there too of like, you can't sustain the power of the sun. That'll You'll die only if it kills me. That's that's what that's, I just said. That's what died. <laughs> yeah, I like... I'm Before Spider-Man was in the MCU, Thor was my favorite Avenger. Spider-Man's always been my... Favorite superhero, so like by, by default he's my it has favorite. To be. <laughs> but Thor's definitely been my favorite Avenger, and understandably, people say that his movies are not the strongest. I really loved that he kind of got redeemed in this movie because he was one of the coolest characters in a film of nothing but cool characters. Love it when he turns the tide at the Battle of Wakanda. Yeah, comes in just <laughs> swathes of lightning. I like, was imagining uh, the Wonder thing. Woman theme song when yeah. it came on. <laughs> and I love how Bruce is like, "You guys are screwed now." <laughs> you guys, are screwed. <laughs> he's like, "These are my new friends, by the way. One's a, one's a tree. These are a rabbit." <laughs> yeah, I definitely like the idea of other Avengers fanboying about each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> speaking of that, and speaking of Spider Man. I really liked his um, kind of jumping to the end when Thanos snaps his fingers and everyone starts to, half the people start to disappear. Spider-Man had like a very emotional one that like I almost, like I got very choked up. I was like, oh my gosh. That one complaint that I have with the MCU is Spider-Man fixes all of them. So if everyone could be more like Spider-Man, it's that none of them actually have a fear of death mm-hmm. or even, like, a fear of anything. And they are consistently witty and brave and, like, overall don't actually have, like, a, any sort of human um, emotion towards almost dying. Mm-hmm. And Spider-Man is the only exception in his lone movie of Homecoming when he gets crushed by the debris after Vulture, like, destroys all the pillars he starts like screaming for help because he literally feels so desperate. And that was one of my favorite scenes of Homecoming where I actually see, oh yeah, this is a 15-year-old boy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like all of the adults could have some similar reactions of like, wait, I don't actually like feel comfortable with death. Like yeah. Tony Stark has been fearing it his whole, for the last... Since the first Avengers, I think, when he starts having those visions of Thanos and the end of the world. But they don't express it. And I feel like there should be opportunities to put that wittiness aside and add that drama. And Spider-Man does it well. I just wish that more characters had done it. Yeah, Star-Lord literally is like, ah, shit. And then, like, disappears. Yeah. Um, I did like 
just, this wasn't necessarily Falcon doing it, but when Falcon disappears and then War Machine is looking for him and he's like, Sam, and it's like, no, you just missed them. Yeah. Yeah, that could that could be emotional too. Yeah. And I guess it was sort of emotional when Peter tries to kill Gamora, but since it didn't succeed, yeah. I also wasn't too invested in it. That whole scene though, like just the sequence of people like starting to disappear, like <laughs> my mouth was just open in the theater, like staring at it in yeah. disbelief it's, yeah it was really just shock and awe i was also a fan that they didn't spell it out like after it happened no one was like oh yeah 50 50 it yeah. was kind of like either you paid attention to his plan when he explained it mm-hmm. or you don't understand what's happening right now mm-hmm. yeah also uh, i really like the fact that it's not just one of these if he gets the gauntlet he can just snap his fingers. He'll be that powerful. No, he he literally just snapped yeah. his fingers, and that's what happened. Like yeah. it wasn't a in theory. This is what he could do. Mm-hmm. It was a. It oh, was that was his plan. That's yeah. what he's doing. <laughs> um, one thing that I complained about, which I think Joe, you've already moved on from, is the fact that I wished that the deaths in Infinity War were permanent, mm-hmm. and based on who died, I know that they aren't. Yeah, I know from the comics that it, like, Thanos literally snaps his fingers and then half of them disappear. And so, I mean, I'm sh- I am i haven't read the comic, I just know that's a story that happens. But I'm sure in some way they're going to get the gauntlet back and just undo what happened. Which, like you said, yeah, death should matter, but I'm okay with it. I kind of going in was like, yeah, they'll probably be able to bring him back. Yeah, I what just... What would you say your feelings on the semi-less permanent deaths toward the beginning of the film in Loki, Heimdall, and Gamora. Do those feel more final to you yeah. than the snap? Yeah, I felt like so they're definitely dead. And one of the frustrations I had with the movie was if all of those people were going to die, I would have rather they be distributed across the movie. Like, mm-hmm. if Peter... Quill, if Star-Lord was really going to die, I think he could have died when Gamora got taken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have been a great opportunity for me to like truly believe like, oh, these deaths are like happening across and they're permanent. But the fact that they saved so many heroes to be killed during the 50-50 dis- disintegrating scene, <laughs> it made me feel that they're probably not dead. Maybe they were taken to an alternate dimension or something. Or it's such a momentous scene that if they undo that one thing, enough people will come back. And so in my mind... Because I want there to be real stakes in the MCU universe, what I would need to feel satisfied in part two is for there to be trades of lives. So rather than bringing everyone back, be trading like, well, I'm going to sacrifice myself to bring this person back. And that way the deaths are permanent, but not who died kind of thing. Yeah, I could see that. And I'm We don't trade lives. And that's the, that's <laughs> yeah. what I love about yeah, it. Like, about yeah, like Infinity War One was all about we don't trade lives, but Infinity War Two could be about like, well, we've actually never been in a position like this and mm-hmm. maybe trading lives really is the right way. Yeah, I or, wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of probably Captain America or Iron Man being like, Okay, like this is gonna happen. It needs to happen and to bring everybody else back sort of the opposite of thanos of like well or i guess the in line with thanos where they're like i'm going to sacrifice myself for more people whereas thanos was sacrifice a bunch of people so 
the other, other half yeah, can live. Tony's got to be in a position where he's choosing between himself and and Peter, Spider Man. Oh yeah, that's what and I'm that, looking for. Yeah, Alex and I were talking about this with the. I didn't realize in the theater because I was just like, oh my gosh, it's happening, but I didn't realize that pretty much, for the most part, everyone that survived were the original Avengers with like a couple new people. I would have loved if that was distributed with like so now the old of some of the old Avengers have to work with some of the new Avengers. Yeah, I agree in the sense that we really set ourselves up in the second part to just be the core. Yeah, members. like I would have loved to see Thor have to work with like Falcon and Doctor Strange and Spider Man. Because we already saw that we first Avengers, we already know how they work yeah, together yeah. in a unit. But and I. I I don't know if this is what you're going to get at, but I would have loved to see this relationship that they've been building between Iron Man and Spider-Man, and Spider-Man watches Iron Man disappear with everyone else, and he's like, oh no, it's like Uncle Ben all over again. Mm -hmm. Or my parents all over again. Oh, yeah. But my complaint is that whole limitations of Hollywood reality versus the storytelling. The original Avengers... Those are the people who have contracts that are running out. So those are the people who need that last hoorah in part two in order for them to have like one final goodbye yeah. if they are not going to renew their contract. It definitely felt like a very, A, these are the original faces that everyone knows and puts butts in seats versus contracts on the verge of expiring yeah i didn't really feel that i was definitely satisfied with the scene um like i said i could have done with like some more news mixing but i have a couple theories of what part two is going to be like i feel like dr strange is going to have to play some sort of big part so i think he's definitely going to be in a lot of it I've, I'm hoping it's like everyone that disappeared got sent to like an alternate universe. Yeah. I mean, in and then theory, Doctor Strange like <laughs> communicates between the two of them, and they're all working in tandem to like fix everything. I mean, I'm still in belief. We're still on the path where we win and beat Thanos. Yeah. This is this. These are the events that had to occur. In yeah. Order this for is us the one triumph. out of forty-eight million. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doctor Strange said it's the only way, so he clearly knows something that we don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I definitely appreciated that. But again, going back to the wishing it was permanent, I would have loved if Tony Stark died instead of Peter. Um, and then in that sense of moving forward with uh, the cinematic universe of Peter taking on all of Tony Stark's like technology, because he is smart enough, he is a genius as well, and sort of being like his own mentor and mentee now, mm -hmm. maybe working with the AI that Tony Stark created and like still having that relationship and rebuilding whatever Tony Stark left behind. And maybe even like if there was like a homecoming too of Peter has to steal from the government, specifically the things that they stole from Tony Stark. Because when oh, Tony yeah. Stark died, the government was like, oh, this is all ours. Repossessing. Yeah, yeah repossessing yeah. it. And so maybe a whole movie of Peter like going up against the government and then sort of like joining forces with Captain America or something. I would enjoy yeah. that. Yeah. I, not that the not that we're saying those are what we want to happen, but they create opportunities for more cool things to happen. Absolutely, and in the context of a comic book, the great thing is that there can be so many universes in existence. Whereas in our cinematic universe, it's all one universe. We're not actually going to get to see every combination, mm -hmm. unless Avengers Five <laughs> is all about Doctor Strange's forty-eight million outcomes. <laughs> Imagine just they just release a new one every couple of years where it's like this was 
107, and this one's <laughs> 52. And... Jeez. I did, I will say, I uh, enjoyed Strange's role as sort of coming into his own as the Sorcerer Supreme, like, guardian of the realm and Earth, and uh, at least it, uh, from the outset, being like, if it comes down to, like, choosing between your lives and the stone, like, understand that, uh, like, I'm gonna choose the stone. It's like, oh, good. Guy with a good set of morals on his uh, head. Good enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yet, Tony was mad that he when compromises. does do it. Yeah. He compromises his own morals, yeah. Because I think that's what's really great about this movie. Not saying this is the first time, but everyone just knows how big the stakes are. Mm-hmm. Like, like we've, we've mentioned this at least twice, but, you know, everyone's usually, you know, it's like quip, 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 but okay, now we have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to maybe some deaths we would have liked to see and like, not like to see, but would have been interesting if like when Star-Lord is ruining their plan, when they have Thanos, if Iron Man was just like, all right, and like killed him so he would stop like waking Thanos up. Hmm. Where they have to like compromise their morals to defeat the big bad. Yeah. Where they're like, okay, like this is going to suck, but we need to do this otherwise the entire universe is at stake and then they kill star lord and that was definitely very frustrating understandable why that scene like happened because like we need those little moments of Mm -hmm. let's see if we might be able to defeat thanos now but there's a half hour left in the movie so obviously they won't i was very frustrated that the gauntlet was literally physically off the hand and right as he woke up he was able to grab the tip of it again like literally peter quill all he had to do was hold back some emotion yeah Mm -hmm. definitely as audience it's one of those moments where it's frustrating as an audience member but uh i recognize its importance in the narrative yeah (laughs) no yeah exactly as soon as he flew in i was like oh no he's gonna do something (laughs) like why even talk yeah. During that fight. He's <laughs> Star-Lord, man. <laughs> I get it, yeah. Um, aside from that, my last nitpicky biggest complaint would be why the hell was Pepper Potts in the movies again? When she she was gone for like a large part of the last 10 years. Like If it wasn't an Iron Man movie, she just didn't exist. And it felt really weird and forced that Tony Stark, that they were establishing that Tony Stark was going to try to start a family and was like going to get married and maybe like think about having a kid only to be pulled back into the world of it's too dangerous to have a family. Yeah. It just felt really Very forced. bait and switchy and forced. Yeah. yeah. I didn't mind it. They bring in at the end of Spider-Man that they're going to get married. And so just the fact that she was back, I was like, yeah, that's totally cool. And, you know... I don't know. I, I didn't mind it at all. Whatever. <laughs> I'll hold my judgment on until the second part to see if they do uh, come good on some of the things they're teasing. And what I liked was the movie, like, we've known for years that this was going to have two parts. And yes, it's a cliffhanger, but it also had an ending. Like, if there was no part two, there is still just the movie's over. Mm-hmm. And it had an ending that I technically... I'll say I was very satisfied with. Absolutely, yeah. Being sad about what happened doesn't mean that I wasn't very comfortable with what happened mm-hmm. in, the, in the decisions that they made. There's, yeah. I've seen so many other films do this where they screw up their setup films. Like, ooh, wait until the next film for this, like, the, the satisfying the clincher. Yeah. And they literally, like, butcher it in the first, like, 
10 minutes. minutes. It's And then start their own new movie? The, yes. So, not that these are the best examples of it. Third Star Wars prequel. At the end of Attack on the Clones, they're fighting Dooku or whatever. And then, literally, the beginning of the next movie, they just kill Dooku in the first 15 minutes. I'm like, why didn't we just have a... Fine, like a climactic final showdown where we killed Dooku in the last film or in the uh, the last Hobbit trilogy. Um, they don't kill the dragon Smaug in the end of the second film. And literally the first ten minutes of the third film is them killing Smaug. I'm like, wouldn't that have been so much more satisfying if we just put that in the end yeah. of the film? And I think that's a great transition point of cinematic universes and Marvel nailing it <laughs> yeah and the fact that Marvel was so successful the rest of the world and Hollywood wanted to get in on that and they most of them failed miserably yeah um, I can't think of one that's like even a little bit close to being on par with Marvel yeah I'm definitely thinking DC Universe tried and failed um they tried to start that mummy mm-hmm. um they, the dark universe yeah they dark universe and they rebooted the mummy so that they could have like a trilogy of like monsters type of thing. Mm-hmm. And just the reason Marvel was so successful is because each movie can still be in isolation and still be a satisfying uh, superhero movie where at the end of it, in literally a post-credit scene, they're going to connect them. Yeah. And they invested, again, 10 years to get this payoff, whereas every other Hollywood company is like um, trying to rush it and trying to get in on the money bags before it runs out, before people stop liking cinematic universes. What a genius method of not adding to the length time of a film by putting those like important, unnecessary scenes in those post-credit sequences. They're just deleted scenes that don't add to the runtime that are there for the, the fans that want that extra. Yeah, and it's never like, obviously you want to watch the end credit scenes, but it's never, oh, I missed that end credit scene, so I have no clue what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Except, I guess, maybe Bucky being in um, Wakanda, but... End of Civil War, I think alludes to that. Is that in the post credit scene, or is that actually in the movie? That's in the movie where they... Okay, yeah, yeah, at the end end of Civil War, um, they have Bucky put in ice in Wakanda. Yeah. But at the end of Black Panther, yeah. they show that he's awake in a yeah. post credit scene. In a post credit scene. Yeah. Right. But I was th- I was thinking that Bucky in Wakanda was in the post credit scene for Civil War. But if that's actually in the movie, then yeah, you can just watch just the movies <laughs> and you don't need to rely on the post credit scene. You scenes. have a cute little interaction where Rocket is like, that's a nice arm. <laughs> it's yeah. a winter soldier. <laughs> um Dan, you mentioned how they're like deleted scenes. And one thing, while we're talking about um, the DC Cinematic Universe, because that's kind of, I'll say, not their main competitor, because obviously people, I think, prefer Marvel. But, you know, DC and Marvel have always been butting Still said in the same breath, yeah. Yeah. Um, when in Batman vs. Superman, they go through those files of all the other heroes that are going to be in Justice League, it was so sloppily put in, and everyone was like, that obviously should have been an end credit scene because it doesn't really fit in. But I think DC was so like, no, we're different. We're not putting this in an end credit scene. And so they, they were like, we're going to be different from Marvel. And then they just totally butchered it and like made their movie stop for four minutes yeah. to just and again, show these. It's that distinction between that just making it standalone. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Never mind. Those were different. Points. Oh, I guess. No, just you saying before the, the real strength of the universe is... Each film both contributes to it and can stand on its own merit. Mm -hmm. Right. I was going to mention, like, 
the idea of DC, if they're trying to be different than Marvel, being unique doesn't mean that it's creative. It, and it could still be a bad idea. Yeah. And clearly, I don't know why they're trying to be different than Marvel, because they're clearly ripping off their idea. <laughs> so I don't see why they're it's, bothering to be like, no, we're Marvel, but we're a different flavor, you know? Yeah. Like, so, so how do we feel about cinematic universes in general? I guess, like, we've all said, like, if done right, mm-hmm. then we're invested. Why do you think Hollywood waited so long to try? I think Marvel was in a good position because they were a comic book company beforehand. So they already had all these stories that they could just adapt into film. Whereas in other movies, um, you know, while there is some sort of lore or source material, it's harder for them to say, okay, well, yeah, you want to do this huge cinematic universe, but do you have it planned out for the next 10 years? (laughs) Marvel was able to say, yeah, actually, we've been writing comics for the past 60, so we can just use those. (laughs) Yeah, I think it comes down as well to the the mind of the viewer, especially with this up-and-coming millennial generation that has such a short attention span. We're actually very invested in long-term things. Mm -hmm. Um, And this idea of... Yes, we do have that immediate gratification need, which is why we can binge Netflix and things like that. But I think it also provides an opportunity for Hollywood and other film-making places to say, oh, let's put a really long story over the course of 10 years and know that they will be invested. Yeah, and we have to, I have to give props to Marvel for, and this, you know, the studio releasing the first Iron Man with this idea because superhero movies were still relatively new and Iron Man was a relatively unknown character. I know that seems like so foreign now, yeah. but like that was a big gamble for them to say, okay, we'll give you X amount of movie deals yeah, and no. we'll see if it pays off. And now uh, Thursday night alone, Infinity War made $39 million. I'm pretty sure... As of today, uh, we're recording it Sunday opening weekend. I'm pretty sure it's the biggest box office opening weekend of all time. And I think another aspect of the risk-taking is the fact that they chose Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he was still... Post-trotting attic out yeah. of jail. Yeah. He was still, like, just getting out of that funk that he fell into through, like, addiction and stuff. And we all knew that he was charismatic, but none of us knew whether he could carry carry um, one carry a movie but also commit to what a 10-year process and not get in trouble during yeah. that process like they were like well i hope he's re- rehabilitated yeah <laughs> let's do it i like to believe that marvel is what kept him rehabilitated he's like i can't mess this up i agree <laughs> <laughs> it was really yeah just all the uh the the lining up of everything you mentioned it was lightning in a bottle that i think other studios are trying to copy that lightning and not the grand design and, and they, you don't, can they not, don't have the correct bottle to yeah, keep the lightning. Yeah. You can that's you can't duplicate those events, but you can duplicate a structure. It's easy to catch lightning in a bottle when the god of thunder is on your team. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next week when we talk about Love Simon and diversity in rom coms. You liked us? Find us on Twitter and Instagram at two underscore bald men and find us on Facebook. And don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much again, and if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time.